0: Hello. Hello. And welcome to Pop Tarts. What you're about to hear will sound a little bit different from other episodes of Pop Tarts because it was recorded live at the Bust Craftacular. We skipped what you're watching so we could do a QA segment with the audience, and we think you're going to love it. So enjoy. Your thoughts will always create your results.
1: <laughs> There's no way in hell I'm sitting through it.
2: Always the wrong question.
0: But what if we want to blame the Adrian? The brain will generate new thoughts for you. I'm Emily Rams. I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors of Bust Magazine right here in Industry City in Brooklyn, New York, right across the alley. We love talking to each other about pop culture and we love talking to you about pop culture. And today is a very special live edition of the Pop Tarts podcast where our guest is someone beloved near and far. Joining us on the show today is one of the most Respected self-help gurus working in the podcasting space today, Kara Lowenthal is a master certified coach with a BA from Yale and a JD from Harvard Law. In the last three years since leaving her legal career, ish, ish, Kara has grown her life coaching business from zero to seven figures. She's the host of the iTunes top rated self-help podcast, Unfuck Your Brain, which has been downloaded over five million times. And she has been featured in Marie Claire, Mind, Body Green, MSN.com, The Huffington Post, and of course, Bust Magazine. Cara lives here in New York City, and we're so thrilled to have her here with us at the Bust Craftacular in Brooklyn to help us unfuck and get more centered for 2020. Welcome, Kara. Yay! (laughs) You're here. I was very impressed with your sound effects. Oh, thanks. (laughs) I'm a pro, Kara. I can tell.
2: Um, I'm thrilled to be here.
0: When I think about you and your life and your journey, I can only imagine that it must have taken a huge leap of faith after getting a law degree from Harvard to becoming a life coach. And I'm so happy to hear that you're still making Mad Bank um but how did you decide to do this and when did you know that it was the right decision?
2: Um so I don't think you ever I don't think you find out that things are the right decision, you just decide that they're the right decision. Uh-huh. Right? Like we're not going to get a certified letter from the universe that's like <laughs> congratulations, you made the right decision uh-huh. or like even worse like no, you fucked that one up. Wrong. So I think we just have to decide what the right decision is. Um but um I sort of woke up one morning and felt like I'd had this revelation that I was going to quit the law and become a life coach, as one does. And then um, I actually was talking to a friend of mine who I hadn't seen for a long time, and I said, oh, I have crazy news. I'm going to quit the law and become a life coach. And she was like, you've been talking about that for years. Uh-huh. And I was like, no, what are you talking about? This is like crazy news. She's like, you're always saying you want to quit and run away to Costa Rica and become a life coach. It was like, so this idea had been germinating, but I just hadn't been able to admit it to myself, and it had been like coming out sideways as a joke. For years. So I think when we start thinking about something and when we become sort of aware and committed to it, definitely two different things.
0: Okay. But d- did you decide that it's right? Yeah. Have you for made sure. it? I That's- decided
2: it was right the minute I did it. The oh, only way to do it. it. Otherwise, think about how much energy you spend, like, especially if you're trying to launch a new venture, you're trying to make a change in your life. If you spend 40% of your brain energy thinking about whether you did the right thing or not, right? It's such a waste of your energy that you could be using to put towards the thing. And then, of course, you make it more likely you won't succeed. And then you, like, Keep yourself in the cycle of doubt and not going not going all in and doubt and not going all in.
0: Right. Right. Something that I wonder a lot about I've I've got ninety-nine problems. Yeah. And I'm not sure which problems are ones that I should be taking to a psychotherapist, which ones go to a psychiatrist, which ones go to a life coach. How how does one sort that out? How do you know if you need one? Oh, we've like a little handy flow chart you can use that just like
2: an app. No. Um What I usually say, first of all, truly, right, there's therapy, there's coaching, there's spiritual advisors, there's village elders, right? There's, like, a lot of different ways that people have gotten support over the centuries, and I think they overlap, but in general, I say a safe bet is, like, if you're dysfunctional, like, you can't get out of bed, you, like, your life is falling apart, you are addicted to drugs or alcohol, like, a coach might be helpful, but you should go get professional psychiatric or medical help, Uh and I think that coaching is really... It can be helpful in conjunction with those things for people who are dysfunctional, especially since like in today's modern psychiatry, you often just get a drug and no yeah. you know, no helpful tool, right. nobody teaching you how to deal with your symptoms or how to think about them. But that in general, life coaching is really suited to people who are functional, but would like to be happier or who feel like they're not living the life that they want or that they are, you know, often I think with my clients, especially the outside of their life looks pretty good, but they feel anxious and insecure and not confident. And there's this like mismatch between, well, I don't know, I got promoted and I like even maybe have the house with the picket fence and the two kids. I have everything I'm supposed to want to have Uh huh. or I have most of it, you know, and I still feel terrible. And I sort of thought was told I was going to feel good once I got these things. So like <laughs> what's happening? Yeah. So that's my general kind of functional dysfunctional is a good rough guide.
0: Gotcha. On your website, unfuckyourbrain.com, it says right on the top, are you a smart feminist woman who struggles with anxiety and insecurity Uh, my first reaction to that was who sent you (laughs) but after that um, I was impressed that you offer life coaching specifically by and for feminists why is it important for you to put feminist at the forefront of your business
2: no it's such a good question there's so many reasons Um, number one for people who don't know my backstory I was a Um, I've been a professional feminist my whole life. I basically never had a job that wasn't being a professional feminist of some kind. And I used to be a reproductive rights lawyer. That was my kind of main professional job before I quit. And so I just, I can't even imagine, everything I do is informed by being a feminist. So I can't imagine how I would have any job that wasn't informed by that perspective. But I think in particular with coaching, I think a lot of the a lot of the ways that women think are culturally conditioned and created by society, which is also true of men or people of any gender identity. But you know, you got you got to pick a niche. <laughs> this is what I focus on. Mm-hmm. This is what I know the best as somebody who identifies as a woman and was socialized as one. Um, and so I think you know the coaching model I learned really used evolutionary biology as like the big explanation for why our brains are the way where they are, and I think that's true, but it misses part of the picture. And so when, when I started learning the work and using it on myself and my clients, it just became so clear to me that like, yes, we need that part, but we also need a part that helps us identify the thought patterns that we're taught to think by society that we just think are ours, right? And how to identify and change those. And then I think there's such a history in the feminist movement of like or the original self-help. It's like, right? It's like doctors aren't testing things on women. Nobody knows if this medication works. Like Nobody can tell you where your cervix actually is, right? There's <laughs> such a like there's such a history of women having to come together and compare, right? If you think about the grassroots feminist circles, right, of, a, of the second wave movement. And I'm sure I don't know if the first wave movement was looking at their cervixes, but they were getting <laughs> together, right? Like the social structure and all the um all of the kind of institutional knowledge isn't created for us and isn't built for us. And so I think that, you know, there's like a real freedom in that to find a different way of relating to the world and thinking about yourself and building that community like to me part of the reason that my business has evolved the way it has is that I went from running a kind of a smaller high-end group to a much bigger more accessible membership because to me it's like a grassroots movement I want women all over the world to learn how to change their brains and be able to teach others and have the work spread that way like I want it to go but I don't like the word viral because it just sounds infectious but like I want <laughs> to I need a better nature metaphor like those those aspen trees that all share one underneath, like thing. Um, that's the technical biological term. Thing they you share underground, <laughs> like a root network or something. Oh I yeah, I know, I know what talking you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're like some of the oldest organisms. It's like all these trees that look separate, but they're underneath one big yeah. root system. Yeah,
0: I assume that because you're putting yourself and your work out there in that way, that you attract a lot of feminists to your coaching. Are do we feminists have issues in common?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I mean, there's so many different ways. I know that there's women
0: issues, but I'm wondering inside of that, are there feminist issues? Yeah,
2: for sure. I mean, and I think people identify feminism as meaning different things. So Right, right, so that's an issue in and of itself. But yeah, Yeah. I think that feminists have the particular thought pattern of like, oh, I, this makes me, I think I'm a bad feminist or I feel like a bad feminist because... I want to believe this thing, but I feel this thing, right? Right. Like, I don't want to believe that my romantic sass defines me, but I'm, like, staring at my phone like a crazy person waiting for this person I met on Tinder two weeks ago to text me who I barely know, right? Like, there's a disjunct here between my principles and my philosophy and what is happening in my brain. And so I think feminist in particular, like, without the feminism part, you you might still feel crazy about the phone, but with the feminist part, you have the, like, I don't even want to believe this like this is against what I believe. And yet I'm like
0: every time I have imposter syndrome, which is like every damn day, I feel like a bad. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So
2: we have the thought I'm a bad feminist because my feelings don't match my beliefs.
0: You practice a cognitive behavioral therapy technique that you describe on your podcast as thought work. I was wondering if you could explain what this means a little bit to our audience and how you use it.
2: Yeah, I would also say I wouldn't call it a CBT technique in the sense that um. I think that a lot of what I teach, I think humans have been trying to solve this problem of like how do you be a how do you be a human and not lose your mind for thousands of years, and the work that I teach involves like tools from you know ancient mindfulness traditions. If you look at what the ancient, um, what the Greeks and Romans were writing, right, the Stoic philosophy has a lot in common. Horatio was writing about how you have to manage your mind. So it's not like CBT invented these ideas. They went to um, the Rosetta
0: Stone and it says, unfuck yeah, your exactly. brain. The Rosetta Stone <laughs> is
2: like, why do I feel so crazy? <laughs> right. So that's what I would say. I mean, I think it's a mix of a lot of those things. And CBT in particular, I think it, it gets used as a catchphrase for like working with your thinking. But there's a, even within modern psychology, there's a lot of different ways of doing that. There's dialectical behavioral therapy. There's action and commitment therapy. So there's a lot of different models. Um, but in general, what it means for me is, Becoming aware of what you're thinking. Most of us don't know what we're thinking. We're not paying attention. And then learning how to work with your thoughts the same way you would work with, like, I don't know, a pile of yarn or dough. Like, being able, (laughs) really, like, almost physically engaging with changing the way you're thinking. So it's awareness, and then it's thought change on purpose. So it's deciding what to think, practicing it on purpose, like, learning how to create new neural networks in your
0: brain on purpose. And how's that working out for you? Pretty fucking great so (laughs) far. (laughs) It's so hard. It sounds easy. And then when you try to do it every day, it's like you break a sweat.
2: Yeah, but I think that thought that it's so hard is not the most helpful thought because we have, humans have this um, sort of bias towards the status quo. So like you spend all this mental energy beating yourself up and feeling terrible and anxious all the time. But then that's just like the norm. And then you're like, it's so hard to say a nice thought to myself. Like, all that energy (laughs) that you're using being shitty to yourself all the time is energy you're using up, right? Like having this roaring fire in your house and then being like, I just, this little kindling, it's very energy draining, right? So I think it's common to feel that way because your brain likes to be efficient. This we know from the evolutionary psychology and biology side, right? Your brain is always like, I might have to kill something to eat it later or run away really fast, so let's not use any energy today. That's why all of us have been like, I have to leave the house? That's just... Putting on clothes, it's so exhausting. Two shoes, right? Like, and pants, like, it's too much. Right. So I think we have to, like, watch even the way, I mean, I see this a lot with my students. It's one of the things I teach a lot is it's like people come in they learn thought work and then they, like, don't look at any of their thoughts about the thought work, Uh right? So then they just, they're like, oh, this is hard and I'm failing at it and blah, blah, blah. And those are facts. I'm like, no, those are also thoughts, right? We have to watch the way we talk to ourselves about how possible it is to change the process of change, whether we want to call it hard, all of those things.
0: Right, right. Um, We're in an interesting time culturally, hashtag Mm. me too, hashtag times up. There is a lot of uh, toxic masculinity talk being bandied about, and I listened to a fascinating episode of your podcast where you were adamant about the idea that there are no toxic people. And that drama is entirely self-created. Do you get pushback on that? And how do you defend this stance when so many women are so invested in calling out toxicity in general and toxic masculinity specifically?
2: So I think a couple of things. One is, excuse me, I always say like, I'm not telling you what to think. I'm just trying to teach you how to look at the results of your thinking in your own life. So, if calling something toxic, you really—if you, I mean—I think you have to like learn the process I'm teaching to really test it, because we have a lot of ideas about what is helping us that isn't really right. Like we tell ourselves, yelling at myself about how I'm too fat will make me go to the gym. Like we keep believing that. <laughs> yeah, that hasn't worked for me. Even though yet. it doesn't work. Yeah. Right. So we have to. It's not as simple as just if you have the thought that this is helping you, keep going with it. Like you should learn how to test it, which is what I teach you. But. What I always say is like you, if that thought, if thinking something is toxic creates a feeling in your body that is, and then you take an action that you like and you like the results you're getting, like by all means keep it. But what I find is that when we tell ourselves that something else is toxic, what we're telling ourselves is that it can poison us and we're in danger and then it activates all of this evolutionary biology that has survived to keep, has like developed to keep you surviving but not calm or creative or resilient. It's, It's evolved to keep you in kind of flight or fright or freeze, which is now like a new kind of option that they've, not option, like a new way of talking about the response to danger that they're developing that, in fact, women are more likely to have, right? So the the standard ones were fight or flight, but they're now identifying that women often actually freeze. So when you tell yourself something is toxic, I just don't, I think you usually don't actually get a good reaction, and that doesn't mean that we should not be doing something about people getting sexually harassed at work, right? The question is just like, what, how are we going to think about it and talk about it, and are we going to get the results that we want?
0: And yes, I get a lot of pushback about it. Sidebar: When I was interviewing the beautiful, talented Mariska Hargate on the set of Law and Ooh. Order SVU, she <laughs> was telling me how about the addition of freeze to fight and or flight, and how like freeze hasn't really been like added in there because it's, it's predominantly women who right, experience exactly. it. So because our experiences are like so often overlooked, like. We were just left out of the whole like people fight or flight, but women more often freeze than anything else. And then when they report their assault and police officers like, what what did you do? And the woman is like, I froze. Then they're like, oh, you're lying. Like Mm -hmm. People don't do that. (laughs) But actually, it's the thing that most women do.
2: Right. Which is why women need to be having these conversations and why doing this kind of thought work, I think, is like that original self-help that you can do without you know, every them kind of male institutions having to validate it. Like, you, it's so user-oriented. Like, that's what I love about this work is like, just try it. Does it help? Great, keep doing it. If you don't like it, don't do it. I'm not making a claim about objective truth, really. I'm just telling you what works for me and you can try it on your own and you don't need a PhD to be able to use it.
0: Something that I think is hard to grapple with when it comes to thought work is just the bedrock idea that you are not your thoughts. Mm -hmm. like just trying to get around that that thoughts are something that you can observe and not live inside of 24 hours a day is a sort of revolutionary way of of uh coming at your own brain um and as women it's really hard to parse the idea that feelings of failure I mentioned imposter syndrome hating your body people pleasing not wanting to raise our hands to speak up um it's hard for women especially to not gnaw on these ideas as empirical truths. How can we begin to tell the difference between patriarchal bullshit that's been controlling us since birth and thoughts that truly represent our authentic selves?
2: I don't really, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think there are thoughts that represent our authentic selves necessarily. Okay. Um, or at least that's not a thought I find helpful. Because, so I think in the kind of beginning of your question, what you're talking about is for sure a challenge. And if you think about it, it's what like all meditative practices are about, right? Mm-hmm. It's like learning to observe your thoughts and differentiate between the you that thinks and the you that can observe, right? So it's called the watcher in some traditions. And even like in, there are martial arts traditions that are more internally focused where it's the same thing. You're learning how to observe like what the mind is doing and what the mind thinks the body is doing as opposed to what the body is actually doing. So, you know, in some ways this is like the essential philosophical question that people have struggled with for thousands of years. is like, what is the mind? What is the body? What is the relationship between them? And what is consciousness? But I think in my, which again is why I always go back to like my experience is that I can observe my own thinking and I can make decisions about changing it. And I don't really know why that's like the little kernel of mystery at the heart of the whole thing that I can't explain, but it works. And so I think that's just a practice. And then in terms of like whether you have authentic thoughts, I do, I think there are, um, I think of it more, and the more I do thought work, the more I think of it as a clearing away. And what is left is closer to something essential about you or at least something kind of more long standing you know but I don't ever want to overly identify with any set of thoughts I have because I always want to be capable of changing them you know so I don't ever want to be like well this is just who I authentically am so now if I ever like feel
0: called to evolve or meet a different kind of challenge I, like
2: you know and that
0: w- doesn't bring about some kind of identity crisis like I don't even know who I am anymore No, because if
1: you become constantly changed. so yeah. wouldn't that not matter
2: Yeah, I mean, the one theory of the self is that it's actually just a fiction your brain creates that you that you have the that your brain creates the fiction of a continuous experience of self that does not even really exist. And like that's getting (laughs) deep into the psychology weeds. But Uh I no, I think it's the opposite. I feel more and more rooted the less and less I identify with whatever particular crazy shit my brain is doing that day. Like the more I identify with the part of me that can observe, the more I feel like I am essentially myself and all the rest of it is just you know who cares the it's like changing my hairstyle like right now i like this i used to wear it curly maybe i'll get a mullet tomorrow
0: i don't know but you what know? if we want to blame the patriarchy you
2: totally can <laughs> <laughs> That's why I always say it's up to you. Like I'm not, this is the other, this is the thing. You'd be amazing how easy it is to like not get in fights when you just let go of the rope, like just knock yourself out. Yeah. I obviously believe that patriarchy exists in the sense that I think it's a set of thoughts that people have had that have created feelings and actions, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Other people are going through the same process that we're going through. So I totally think it exists, but I think the question is, and this is, I have a whole episode about this called What About Sexism? It's like, can we learn how to politically resist without emotionally resisting? Mm -hmm. Because we think that emotional resistance is what gives us fire and makes us change things, but having worked in the social justice world and anybody else who has, right, burnout is pandemic because people are fucking exhausted by their thoughts about Mm -hmm. everything that's wrong with the world all the time. So can we learn to have values create change? We want to see in the world from a place that isn't fueled by anger and resentment and, and feeling like we're kind of helpless victims.
0: Right. I'm glad that you, a little, a few minutes ago, you brought up the mind body connection. This is like, sometimes I'm not even aware that I'm feeling an uncomfortable feeling or if I'm that I'm in an uncomfortable psychological place, but I'll be like, Oh yeah, I've, been in the bathroom for like 12 times today. Like I missed most of eighth grade because I was throwing up every day. And like, I don't always know if I'm feeling a thing, but my body knows immediately. And then I'm just clutching my guts. So like what, how do you do thought work when it's really guts work?
2: So <laughs> <laughs> I think the, all of our feelings happen in our body. Right. And so one of the, we, t- I talk a lot about thought work and that's what I often get asked about, but we have Some of my students are here in the room tonight, and they know that the first week of what you learn with me is how to have your feelings, right? How to process an emotion and experience it in your body. Because most of us are, especially in our current culture, which is very kind of technology and work focused, and especially among the people who come to me, who are usually people who make their living or even in school, whatever, are sort of valuing their intelligence and their cognition a lot, like heads in jars, right? Like totally disconnected from our bodies until our bodies are like, I'm really trying to tell you something, right? And then you're yeah. throwing up all the time. So, or like you get chronic pain or you get like chronic migraines or you know, your body eventually will manifest in a very dramatic way if you are really not paying attention to it. So, I always teach you have to learn how to and I, you know, go through a process like an embodiment process of learning how to have a feeling without freaking out about it. Because the whole reason we ignore our feelings is that we're scared of them. Right. And we think they're going to kill us. So, we have to learn how to experience them realize that they're not going to kill us and then we're able to integrate those things more closely so it is kind of an irony that it's called thought work and i focus on that so much but there is a whole embodied part to this that you can't do one without the other
0: i imagine that being a life coach people expect you to have all the answers about everything and i've always had all the answers since i was like six my mother's here (laughs) she can attest i've always thought i did at least so (laughs) is there pressure to be perfect because you spend all day teaching women how to unfuck their brains and how do you cope and have normal relationships with people without trying to unfuck them all the time? <laughs> so there are two great questions, really separate ones
2: though. Um, I don't feel any pressure to be perfect because I think I'm very transparent in my work about my own work and I think that that's part of what resonates with people and why like people drove from other states to be here today, right? Like I don't pretend that I have all the answers. I try to share where I am yeah. and I try to like, figure something out mostly before I share it. Like I don't think it's helpful to be like moment by moment, here's my thought download, like on something that I haven't really figured out for myself yet. But I think the beauty of this practice is that it's an exercise in self acceptance and self compassion in all of our imperfections, which I'm doing air quotes around because there's, there's no such thing. I don't think there's perfection or imperfections. There's just, you're a human yes. now until you die. And how do you want to think about yourself for that during that process? So I don't feel that pressure in terms of not trying to unfuck other people. When you first learn about this, you do go through a period where you are like insufferable where you (laughs) want to coach everybody else. But the nice thing about becoming a coach, especially if you end up coaching a lot and being successful, you're so fucking tired of coaching other people. (laughs) So now I'm like thrilled to go out with like, none of my friends are into my coach friends are into thought work, but all my like other friends are not into thought work. It's great. I just go out with them. They're like, My workplace is toxic. I'm like, oh, my God, really? Tell me more. (laughs) I can't believe they did that. Your husband should change immediately. I told you that bitch crazy. Yeah. That bitch. Can Can you believe that drama? Yeah. I just am totally like, it's a relief to not have to just turn that part of my brain (laughs) off and be like, tell me more about how your child should be totally different.
0: That's going to make you feel better immediately. I want to hear it. (laughs) We are in the thick of the holiday season. A lot of times... This, regardless of what kind of wintertime holidays are your thing, a lot of people find themselves at their homes of origin at this time of year. And I, no matter how much I meditate and like come to know myself as a, a grown ass woman, when I go back to my parents' house, I'm immediately like a pissed off teenager. Mm-hmm. And I did not ask to be born. And <laughs> I hope you just come in like that. You're like, I'm home. And I didn't <laughs> ask to be born. I didn't ask for any of this. I and of I lay on my bed and I look at the stickers that I put on the ceiling and I feel bad for myself. Uh-huh. Sounds um, fun. How I I know that I'm not alone in having this weird regressive mm-hmm. stuff happen when I go home. How um, can we go home? And emotionally prepare and not be the dicks that perhaps we've been in the past.
2: <laughs> so I think the thing to understand about why that happens is that you have a like a neural circuit from back in the day that was very strong. Cause you spent, you know, six to eight years thinking about how you hated your parents. And they ruined your life from ages like 12 to 18. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and we know that our brains get cued by certain kinds of um, what's the word like triggers. Right. So like there's studies showing that if you, Listen to a certain piece of music while you're studying, you recall the information better when you listen to that music again. So it's the same thing, right? You go home, you're around your nuclear family, whatever. There's multiple. Sometimes, you know, it's like your childhood bedroom, like there's more or less, but you have those kind of triggers that just fire up your old thoughts. So number one is just understand that's what's happening. It's not that your family causes your feelings, and that's why you always feel terrible around them. Mm-hmm. It's like a memory, a habit. It's like if you went skating after a long time, your body remembers how to do it in terms of preparing, I think that a lot of our pain and suffering, well, a lot of our pain and suffering as humans comes from just wanting reality to be different from it than it is, right? And in relationships, it comes from wanting people to be different than they are. And we all persist in doing that with people who we have known for literal decades, right? So we get ready to go home and we're like, well, I just hope both my parents have had total personality transplant since last time I saw them, right? Like, I hope my brother has a totally different way of talking. Like, we want them to be totally different people. And then we're all bent out of shape when they're not. And Meanwhile, we're not usually totally different either, right? So I the tool I like to teach for the holidays is called Of Course They Did. And it just <laughs> is you just go home expecting your family to be the way they always are. Now, those are all thoughts. And if you're doing deeper level thought work, you can work on changing those thoughts. But the first step is just to stop emotionally resisting that people are going to be exactly who they have been, right? And it, you would be amazed kind of just how freeing that is just to be in a space of like, oh, of course, like this, and I'm going to feel crazy too, not having this like perfectionistic standard that you're supposed to go home and now like be it a Buddha who's never, you know, <laughs> like has no negative emotion. Like this is what's going to happen. Th- they're going to be the way they usually are. I'm probably going to have some of these thoughts and feelings I usually do. We're all going to be the way we usually are. And <laughs> like, let's just accept that reality. And once you accept that, then you can start actually changing the way you think and deciding ahead of time which is a whole skill, like, to decide ahead of time how you want to think and feel and practice that ahead of time. But it's already, like, December 7th, so I would just say start with, of course they did, and practice that, and then you can work the next year. So,
0: for example, um, a lot of us are um, progressive women in this audience, and may go home and uh, Fox News is on, Mm -hmm. and um, there's Trump talk in a positive way, and like, how how does one not melt down around it?
2: It all depends on what you're thinking, right? If your thinking is my of parents. Of course they did. But, like, yeah, of course. If you're thinking is I can't, like, they shouldn't watch this. They shouldn't think this. I can't believe they do. This is horrible. It means they don't love me or care about me. If they would support this person, you're going to have a very intense emotional reaction, right? If you can start at least with, of course they did, right? Like, they're listening to Fox News every time I go home. So there's no point in, like, hoping that they won't be this time, right? And then you have to start digging into, like, you know, that would be a whole coaching session, right, for somebody, or a self-coaching session of, like, what are all the thoughts I'm having about this and why it's a problem, and do I want to believe them? And I think where people get often a lot, some of the resistance I get to my work is that people think that I'm saying, so you just shouldn't care and should never do anything, right? And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, like, the question of, you, we try to always operate from what I call, like, the action line, which is, like, we always want to figure out what to do. Okay, but like, what should I do if they say this thing? Or what should I do if Fox News is on? Or what should I do if they insult blah, 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 right? But it's always the wrong question because if your thoughts and feelings are all mix, mixed up and you haven't sorted them out, whatever you do won't feel good because your feeling comes from your thoughts, right? So the question isn't like, what should I do if they're watching Fox News? It's let me decide ahead of time what I want to think and feel. And then you'll be surprised to see sometimes your action is to do nothing. Sometimes mm-hmm. your action is to, like, leave the room. Sometimes your action is to, like, I don't know, throw the TV out the window, but feel really chill about it. Like, <laughs> it depends. But you have to. I, I never. There's a thing people think. I think that life coaches tell you what to do. And I'm like the total opposite. I don't know what you should do. Right. I can just show you how to um, think on purpose. And then it's like a flow chart. Like, you're going to figure out what makes sense to do. When you have your thinking and your feeling in a way that feels good,
1: right? I mean, I know what they're gonna do every time. That doesn't make it any. chill. I mean, I'd leave the room, or if they were not talking about this, but it still doesn't change the fact that I'm like, oh god, they're gonna do it again because you know they're gonna do it right. again. But you
2: think they shouldn't do it is the problem. That's why no. It's
1: well, I mean, they're they're gonna do whatever the fuck they want to do. But you think it would be better if they didn't do it, right? I think everybody knows that we're going to get in a fight. We've been doing this fight for wh- however many years, three years now. We all know what we're going to get into. I don't understand why they don't just let me walk out of the room. Exactly. Quietly. So you
2: think they should be different. You're like, they should let me walk out of the room. But I'm not going to sit in there. I'm not saying you should, but this is exactly, <laughs> no what, I I'm this is exactly what I mean, right? Yeah. It's like, so when we think that other people should be different, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, I'm just saying this is ends up being how we feel, right? So then- it's it's not that no, just knowing someone will do something isn't magic if you are still believing that they should be different. It's just like the first step, and then there's multiple steps of work to do on our own resistance to other people being ways we wish they wouldn't be, and then how we're going to handle that. So it's like a multi-step process.
0: Yeah. I, I understand that you are not super pop-culturally invested like I am, but... Just generally, I'm not sure if you've seen any of these shows, but I grapple with whether or not I should feel guilty watching shows like <laughs> Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew, Couples Therapy with Dr. Jen. Like, uh, oh, I want to watch Couples Therapy. That would be fascinating. Oh my God. When people from, especially when people who were formerly on Celebrity Rehab die, which has happened like three or four times, like they're on the show and then they are no longer on this earth. Because they have OD'd and died. I feel like a dirtbag for voyeuristically watching their therapy. Being Bobby
1: Brown, my feelings about how I love Whitney Houston singing all the time, but she was totally in the middle of it. Being Bobby
0: Brown should have been called, watch Whitney Houston be on drugs. I know. What are your feelings about therapy as pop culture? And are we dirtbags for watching it?
2: Okay, I definitely don't think anyone is a dirtbag. <laughs> it's not a term I would find helpful. Um, no, I, for, I don't think that guilt is a useful emotion. Uh, people think it's useful because they think it motivates them to do the right thing. But really, most of the time, you do what you want anyway, but then you just feel really bad about it. <laughs> or you do the thing because you feel guilty, and then you're resentful the whole time because you only did it because you felt guilty. So I, I think that pe- it's one of those emotions that people think is like telling them something true about their moral code, but is usually actually just self criticism that's not helpful um so i i do not think that you're a derp. i mean i i'm fascinated to watch like when i watch even just tv shows like from the perspective of having a managed mind versus not like my favorite is in when like a rom-com one person will be like but let me explain how i didn't really cheat on you and ruin your life the other person's like no and storms out of the room (laughs) i'm like i would for sure be like yeah okay like at least tell me what happened you know like there's so much unnecessary drama so I'm for, I would for sure watch couples therapy and just be like, what kind of amazing thoughts do you guys have about on the VH1
0: app you can go back and watch all of them. All right. I'm on it. I'm just <laughs> saying. and Lowenthal. Yes. What are your hopes and dreams and goals for 2020? What is on your vision board? I would say I have three buckets. Kind of. I have goals for my business, which
2: are actually kind of the least ambitious in some way of my goals. Um, but. Of kind of growing my reach and expanding how many women learn this work and teaching more women this work and I think not next year but maybe the year after I want to write a book I'm gonna start thinking yes. about that um, and then in my personal life I have a, there's no real name for it but I have like hypermobile joints and loose ligaments and so I have some chronic pain and I've been I've already done some work on it with thought work but I've gotten really I have a student who's been really deep diving into this work and. I think a lot of her research is really fascinating and so one of the things my impossible goal for 2020 mm-hmm. is to have to be like pain-free by the end. Wow. Um and using thought because especially with chronic pain there's a lot of fascinating evidence about the way that it really um is not based on physical damage. Whoa. It lives in the in the mind and in the nervous
0: system. So that's what I'm going to be working on. I'm amazing. I want to I want to find out um, more about int- that. Yeah, i yeah. into that. <laughs> This table is full of pain. That. We can do another one of these <laughs> next year. I'll tell yeah. you what I've learned. And finally, what you're watching? And when I ask what you're watching, it's a broad question. <laughs> I I'm, warned them that I didn't do enough pop culture. But I have
2: been watching, I have to say. Uh, so I've been watching the third season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Love it. I love have
0: it. mostly positive feelings about. Um, do you, as a Jewish person myself, I feel like there's a high degree of Jewish minstrelsy in there. I'm not sure. See, I'm actually like those are literally the two sides of my family.
2: Like I'm like this It's literal. A, I'm like you. this is like a
0: documentary. Okay.
2: Because <laughs> yeah. I feel like there, there are here, non the Jews in there
0: though. being like idle, idle, idle.
2: Oh. Oh that mm. they're not Jews
0: playing. The they're actors. not Jews and they're oh. really Jewing it up so hard.
2: See, I'm like this is not extreme to me. This is what my family is like. Like okay. they, it seems like it's like pretty on. I okay. mean like 10% dial up maybe for comedic effect but I was I was like oh this is actually this is like a Ken Burns documentary about the different kinds of Jews and the 1960s. I do like the show. See the thing I find irritating about it it's like so interesting everybody has their little pain points that get triggered. Yeah, I'm always like everything with that Amy Sherman-Palladino does has some unnecessary fat jokes in it.
0: Yes, I found that to be true in Gilmore Girls yeah. even though um Suki was such a right. She's one of the best plus-size best characters, characters exactly. ever. Yeah, it's such yeah. a
2: weird thing. She like had a very human, not about her weight, fat person in that role this whole time. But then Which there's was these so dumb one offs, and they're they're less this season I've noticed than mm-hmm. the first season. Right, but there's still a little bit of that going on. Um, so that's what I've been watching.
0: Interesting. Great. <laughs> hey, podcast fans! Did you know that the best place to listen to your favorite shows ad free is Stitcher Premium? They've got Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Wolverine: The Lost Trail, Bitch Sesh, The Fantasy Footballers, Science Rules with Bill Nye and more, all without commercial interruptions. And we can hook you up with a sweet deal. To get 1 month free, go to stitcher.com/premium and use promo code POPTARTS. That's stitcher.com/premium, promo code POPTARTS. Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor Wolfie vibes publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie vibes publicity. Wolfie vibes publicity is a female owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be. And you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfyvibespublicity.com for details and quotes. And tell them that Pop-Tart sent you.
3: Essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious. And I knew would make great podcasts. And every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own (laughs) thing. Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted, and led by women. We have shows about politics.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Let's Get Civical. When the Supreme Court put stuff on their calendar, they used the word docket.
3: So their Google Calendar is a docket. Is a docket. So technically I have a docket.
4: You have a docket, we all have, we all docket. have a docket. Sex?
5: Welcome to my vagina, I'm Jesse Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jesse? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. Yep. <laughs> Scams? I'm Kaitlyn I'm Smith. And, <laughs> and we, we love scams. scams. She tells them she's
4: a German Russian heiress and she seems like she has a lot of money and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening.
3: So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on. Which Amazing. Was so smart. I mean, so, so smart. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately. Because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com.
0: Well, we have reached the point in our program that you've all been waiting for, the Q&A session. Jenny, if you wouldn't mind taking my bag off the Q&A seat. The hot and seat. And Luscious Logan is going to turn on the elusive microphone number four. Uh, so who would like to ask Kara a question? I see a hand. It's Jenny Miller. You don't have to sit in the hot seat. You can sit hot seat adjacent. Um,
3: so if we're doing some of this thought work by, on our, by ourselves, I found that I can know all of these things logically. But accountability is where I fall apart. How do we learn how to be accountable to ourselves um, to stick with this? To stick Tell with me
2: more. Where are you falling? Well, apart?
3: like you know, I know um, if I meditate or journal about my feelings, like you know, consciously reprogram. Like you were discussing creating mm-hmm. new neural pathways. Like you know, CBT is you know my life, but. Um, Without someone else making me do it, like, I don't know how to do it. How do you teach Wait, yourself? Tell
2: me what that means. How do you not know how to do it?
3: Um, I just don't stick with it. Why? Uh, It's easier not to.
2: Okay, so that's your thought. It's easier <laughs> yeah. not to do it. So mm-hmm. as long as that's the thought you have about it, you won't do it, right? So I think accountability is another one of those words that, like, it sounds like we're being very, like, responsible and upstanding, but actually we're just, being mean to ourselves in a not helpful way. We're just, like, telling ourselves that we don't have any discipline and we don't stick to things. So, I mean, the two options are this. Either it's true that you need accountability, in which case you should go get yourself some accountability, right? Like, find a buddy, pair up, text each other that you did your morning, whatever, right? Or change your thought that you have, like, an accountability problem and that it's doing thought work is harder than not doing thought work. I also would say, like, the two things that you just described are not necessarily things I would call thought work. And I think that um, it's not that people who are doing thought work the way I teach it don't have this problem sometimes. But I do think one of the reasons that I like um, the method of, like, doing a short thought download and then picking a thought and then changing, working on changing that thought is that you get a little bit more of an instant um, emotional hit. You get a little bit of dopamine from your brain, and that teaches your brain it's worth doing. Where something like meditation is a practice that can take a long time for people to feel better when they do it. And if you are a highly anxious, very fast thought moving person, you will avoid it more. And the same with journaling your emotions. If you are just journaling your emotions, sometimes it feels great. And sometimes you've just repeated a bunch of thoughts that feel terrible. And so you feel worse. So Mm -hmm. I think there's like a couple of different things that could be going on. But I would say like number one, make sure that especially in starting out, you pick a practice that has an immediate payoff which for me would be like writing down the thoughts you have, picking one, picking, like I have an episode called the thought ladder that teaches you how to like pick a thought that's just slightly better to practice and practicing that. So you teach your brain, this is worth it. It feels good. Mm. But also you got to look at your thought about it. If your thought is it's so hard, it's easier not to, you know, we're just going to get the same result. It's not that you like don't have discipline. It's that your thoughts will always create your results. If your thought is, holy shit, this
5: is amazing, I can change how I think and feel, and it's so easy, then you would do it every day.
0: Who else has a question?
5: Come on down. So I've been practicing law for seven years. Four years ago, I burned out, and I discovered mindfulness and thought work, and I've been trying to teach it to lawyers for the past four years. Um, I've written in articles. I've done several presentations. um, But when it comes to trying to get paid with it, I completely fall off. I've you know, falling off with my podcast, I've fallen off with all the content and I'm trying to figure out what the thoughts are. Cause I've been trying to cho- like action myself to be successful and that's not working. Nope. I find myself getting overwhelmed. I find myself saying, well, um, when I put stuff on the calendar to do it, all of a sudden I have so much work at work to do. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm just trying to find a different way to think about it so that I can stop being so stuck. Can I coach you? Yes, please. Okay. Why don't you want to make money? Uh, that is an interesting question. I should be a life coach. I, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm already making money as a lawyer, so I feel maybe it feels weird to make money a different way. Why maybe? does it feel weird? Because I should be happy with what I have already. Okay, well, now we know why you're not doing it, right? Huh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so that thought, I should be happy with what I have already. If that's your thought, you're not going to go get anything else. Right. So that's the thought you got to work on changing. What's a better thought? Always the wrong question. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coaching you a little aggressively because I know I've coached you before. Yes. Um, whenever you're like, okay, what should I think instead? It means you haven't really sat with that thought and seen how it's playing out. So I don't want you to go home and pick a new thought yet. I want you to go home and be like, this is so interesting. I just learned that I think I should be happy with what I have. Where can I see this playing out in my life? Like, how is this making me show up in my giving talks, in my podcast? How is it showing up in other areas of my life? Like, you guys, when you discover a thought that's getting your way, it's, of course, natural. You want to change it, but you don't even know it yet. It's like you need to get to know the thought and the problem, like see it from different angles. It's an opportunity to practice curiosity, hmm. right? We're all like, I've been struggling with this for 10 years. I can't do it another day. It's like, when well, it's been 10 years, so spend three more days. Get to know it. And then you're actually, it's going to be so much more effective to shift it. Like when you get to know it and you really see how it's playing out. Say if you went to the doctor and you were like, well, I have a headache. And they were like, okay, brain surgery. You're like, well, let me tell you the rest of my symptoms. And like, maybe I should take a log of like what I'm doing so we can figure out what's really going on. So I would just like, that's new awareness you didn't have a minute ago. Mm -hmm. And I would sit with it for a little bit and get curious about, don't reject the thought and think it's bad and you have to change it. Just get curious about, well, that's so interesting. I believe this. Like, how is this showing up in all these different areas? And then, when you, here's the truth when you have fully accepted that a thought is optional and seen what it's doing, your brain will generate new thoughts for you. Awesome. I feed you guys thoughts sometimes to move things along or just give you an example. But truly, when you really get it, your brain is like, oh, here's 12 other things you could think.
5: Awesome.
0: Thank you so, so much. much. Who else has a question? I see you. Come on down.
3: Hi. So, I am a Potentially aspiring coach, and I haven't actually said that out loud to many people, so that is very nerve wracking. Said
0: in
2: front of my mom, so that's practice. Then you can go say it in front of your
3: mom. <laughs> oh no, no, <laughs> <laughs> no! Nah, I'm not there yet. Um. So, what about Thought Work? Besides that, I mean, clearly you believe it works. I think it works for me as well. What about this model was most compelling for you? And did you explore other coaching methodologies? And generally, right, like, how did you really get started?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Yes, I had gone to a couple. I think I mean, I've always, I went to therapy in high school because I was like, I want to go to therapy. You guys should send me. Like I've always been interested in the mind, I think, and are just like, it's hilarious because you sort of feel like you've changed and evolved so much, but then I look at my yearbook quotes, and they're like, what is the good life? How do you live it? It's like the same shit I'm still thinking about. Not that a person should have solved it by 38. It's like a thousand-year question. Um, but um, So I had done other kinds of coaching. Hilariously, the first kind of coaching I did I'm gonna stop using the name of this company because eventually they're gonna probably hear a podcast. But it was this method that was based on um if what I do is sort of CBD-ish-ish, this was based on like Pavlov. It was like if you wanna stop doing something, you just like pick a punishment for yourself, and then you just like do the they called it a consequence, but and then you do the consequence. And I was like, but I'm not forced, so I know I could do the thing and not do the consequence. <laughs> <laughs> nobody can stop me. Right. Like it was just so ludicrous kind of it was like it only worked either for people who were like super self-punishing and definitely didn't need more self-punishment or who were like super disciplined and then didn't need life it was just a totally so I tried that I was like this is no this is a no it's a no and then had done some um kind of more embodied body image stuff coaching that I that I liked was helpful but you know and I'd gone to therapy for many years when I discovered my teacher's were um whose name is Brooke Castillo and it was sort of the which is some of the basis of some of the work that I do it just was like I was like oh my god this is the fucking secret to life like why didn't anybody tell me that you can change your thoughts like you don't have to just keep thinking these forever they're you know there's that yoga say yoga saying like when the student is ready the teacher appears I am sure Brooke Castillo is not the first person in my life who ever said like did you know you can change your thinking but I whatever wasn't ready till I heard it and the, her model for it is just very um, suited to, like, analytic minds, I think. Like, mine, like, it's very, like, there's, it's like a little process you can go through. So that was really what happened. And I didn't go into it tending to be a coach. I just was intending to be a law professor, but I, you know, wanted to not feel like a lunatic.
3: Hi. Um, so I wanted to thank you, first of all. Um, I'm a member of the clutch, and hey. I really appreciate it. Um, so I was just kind of wondering about how to find sort of, like, the right, portfolio of thoughts to think
2: because <laughs> <I like portfolio. laughs> that's a very fancy term for it <laughs> right right yeah because I tell me more
3: I'm thinking of it like a closet kind of like okay. there's a lot of different mm-hmm. thoughts that you can think to help you live your best life mm-hmm. and I I'm still trying to figure out what thoughts are right for me let me um, ask you this how do you yeah. feel when
2: you think I want you to close your eyes really check your body how do you okay. feel when you think I want to live my best life? Um, I feel a little bit anxious. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. is not, this is, it's right, so it's like the whole question is coming from this thought that there is a best life, so therefore there must be a right portfolio to lead you to the best life, mm-hmm. right? So it's like the whole premise of the question is coming from kind of overachiever anxiety about right. getting it right. right. Right, right, right. Whereas I like to think about it like, you know, those, Um, I don't know if you, you look very young. So maybe they didn't still have these, but they had those choose your own adventure books when I was growing up. So it was choose your, there were these books where it was like, you come to a path in the forest. Do you want to like turn right or turn left? If you want to turn right, you go to page 27. If you want to turn left, you go to page 34. You would like go through the whole book that way. And that's how I think about thought work because this is why like people agonize about decisions. And it's like, it doesn't even matter what you decide. Whatever you do, you're going to learn something. If you're committed to paying attention to your own mind, and learning to live with more conscious intention, you'll learn something no matter what path you take, like whatever job you take, whatever person you marry, whichever whatever, right? Like that whole life will be full of different experiences and people and moments where you will have an opportunity to engage with your own mind and to learn something about yourself. And we can never have all of them, right? We're never going to get them all, but none of them are better than the others. When you think about it that way, and you can internalize that, which might take a little bit, then it's just so much freedom because it's like whatever I do, I'm gonna learn something and that's the whole reason I'm here. So I'm good. It doesn't matter which one. So for you, just focus on like that thought and how that feels, that like best, right? And notice your tendency to think there's a right answer and that there's a better thought or a worse thought.
4: Hi. Uh we went to the same school, coaching school. Oh, you're an LCS coach. Yeah. Hey, nice to see yeah. You. So yeah, mastermind. So um great to see you. Love the podcast, <laughs> love your content. Um I wanna hear more. You mentioned briefly about the, uh, how there's something in the mind, something in the brain that triggers the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And this is something that you're going to be working mm-hmm. into in 2020. I'm really fascinated about it because, you know, I've studied the model like you. And so, like, I've noticed that on winter days, I have, like, my seas start to slip in my mind because I feel like mm. uh, it's like, and it just feels tired feel Mm -hmm. weak and sleepy and depressed you know like and i think um yeah i would love to hear more about this what you have learned so far about like the the interconnection of what's in the mind like subconsciously that am i making any sense yeah yeah so
2: i think there's (laughs) two things going on right
4: one is there
2: may be like, you may be, you know, vitamin D deficient, and that might cause a hormone change, which you then have thoughts about, right? So there's, like, some stuff just does happen to our bodies or happens in our environment, right? If you ingest lead, it's going to have an effect on your brain, right? And so I think, sure, that's not what's happened to you, but I think that, like, part of the work is always starting with, like, okay, I notice I feel this way, and what am I making it mean? And often, like, there's a cascade of unconscious thoughts, which are, like, oh, this always happens and it's getting so dark and it's going to keep getting dark and I should have lived in Hawaii, but now I can't move. So now I'm stuck here. So now it's going to be right. That's all going. And so then you feel worse and worse, right? Yep. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm always, it's almost always the answer is like, there's plenty still to do with the thought work we already know, right? Same with hormones. And people are like, but what about PMS? I'm like, yeah, your hormones might be changing some, but also you have all these thoughts. And when you tell yourself it's just hormones or it's just seasonal effective or whatever, it's not that it might not be some of that stuff, but then you just sort of like, then your brain's like, oh, so I don't have to pay attention to any of those thoughts I'm having about this because I'm just going to blame it on this thing. So I would start with that. I mean, in terms of your question, I this is not an area of my expertise yet, but what I've learned so far is just that, and it, it's always like for some people, I'm not saying all chronic pain, right, but there's, there's pain that you get in the body when you have actual damage to the tissues, like if you break your arm, right, and then there's pain that you experience because it when they say lives in the nervous system, it's, it's really, it's like your brain has a habit of creating those sensations of pain that you feel in your body. Like people get phantom limb pain, even though their limb is no longer there because the map of that limb in the body is associated with this pain response that they still get. And that's also why people who have, some people who have chronic pain will experience like good days or bad days that often correlate with like their emotional state, right? Or people like back pain is a really fascinating example because when they do autopsies, there'll be people who have what looked like a perfectly healthy functional back who reported, you know, a lifetime of debilitating back pain. And then there'll be people who have like no cartilage between their vertebrae and hernias who like never reported any back pain. We think it's this one-to-one structured pain, and it really isn't. So it's, it's not an area that I'm an expert in yet, but it's something I'm starting to learn. And I've been having these experiences myself in like going through um, working with a trainer in physical therapy where my my trainer will ask me to do a motion with my body that they can see I'm doing correctly and is physically safe, and my brain is screaming that it's dangerous and painful and I have to stop. And so there's this total disconnect, and it's so interesting because there's so much, from a feminist perspective, so much emphasis and even in the self-help world of, like, trusting your body, right? And, like, the wisdom of your body. And I'm like, but a lot of the what you think is the wisdom of your body, you're interpreting with your brain, and then your brain, so it's not as simple as like, and I think I did myself a, do not I I, don't, I wouldn't say did myself a disservice because I think it's all part of the learning journey and I've learned something. But I definitely went many years being like, well, no, I can't do that in physical therapy or I can't do this kind of lifting or I can't do this because it feels unsafe in my body or it hurts and I just take that at face value. It wasn't until I found kind of the trainer and PT that I work with now are trained by this place that focuses a lot on the brain and the neurology. And found people who could, were both very patient with that, but also could explain to me, like, your body thinks, it's so crazy, your brain will, like, your body will, like, load your foot correctly, and then your brain will think that it's not, and tell your body to compensate in some way that causes pain. It's, like, a whole other fascinating world. So, I don't have, like, imperfect takeaways yet, but if you do experience chronic pain, or you're, like, an athlete and want to improve your conditioning or sport or something, it is, like, a fascinating area to look into.
5: Um, So, I love the podcast. So I am, for the past year, I've been in grad school and working at the same time, and I'm finding um, fear of failure being almost debilitating at times. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm just wondering if you can, you know, know, give some strategies on how to use thought work to just, Mm -hmm. I mean, I've created like scenarios where, you know, like how you say sometimes like you think, oh, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. I've created stories over the past year when Mm -hmm. everything's going fine, almost self-sabotaging.
2: What's going to happen if you fail?
5: I'm gonna let people down, and myself down. I guess. So
2: what are you gonna say to yourself if you fail?
5: Oh, I, yeah. I can't. I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> That's why you're terrified of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so if you
2: want to deal with your fear of failure, you have to number one get be willing to look at what all we're ever afraid of is a thought and feeling we're gonna have, right? So you're not afraid of failure. You're afraid of the mean shit you're gonna say to yourself if you tell yourself that you fail, right? Failure is also not an external true circumstance, like falling into a pit right it's mm. like it's a inter- it's a human interpretation we make of something that happened some somebody could fail out of med school and think it was the best thing that ever happened and somebody could fail out of med school and tell themselves they were a total failure and yeah. that could be the same person at different points in their life right like it's all just yeah. a thought so you have to look at what you are afraid you will say to yourself when you decide you failed right now you're running around trying to avoid having that happen <laughs> Right. Yeah. And so you're never going to there's no strategy other than you have to get to know what those thoughts are, see what you're going to say to yourself, get honest with yourself about that. Mm-hmm. And then you get to decide, do you want to just and this is what we do. We're like, I hope my unmanaged mind doesn't mean to me in the future. <laughs> it's like, for sure, it's going to be. That's why you have to decide <laughs> what you're going to think instead. It hasn't really been that nice so far. This is like, of course, it did. It applies to your own brain. Yeah. Right. So not like, I just hope I'm not an asshole to myself. If I fail this class, you will be. <laughs> and decide ahead of time what you're going to think instead okay okay so you got to look at the thoughts the remedy for fear of failure is look at what you're afraid you'll think and say okay. to yourself and then decide on purpose how you're going to talk to yourself instead
0: okay
5: yeah thank you you're welcome.
0: <laughs> thank you guys so much for those amazingly thank thoughtful you. questions and thank you carl low and so much for being our special guest um <laughs> If you guys like this show and you want other people that you know to listen to it, it's gonna we're going to be releasing it on Friday. So find us on Pop-Tarts, um, whatever your podcatcher is, look up Pop-Tarts. There's more than one, but we're the one with the pastries holding hands. <laughs> Take these stickers so you don't forget. And also, if you wouldn't mind, on iTunes, they really, really um, put the pressure on to get those ratings and reviews on there or else nobody knows that we exist. And it's n- the number one way for, like, this show to get promoted is by getting those ratings and reviews on iTunes. So if you wouldn't mind just going on there, it costs nothing. It takes two seconds. and I cannot express to you how helpful it is to get those ratings and reviews. Please rate us and review. It's, we super-duper appreciate it. Until next time, from Callie and I. Mm-hmm. Mwah!